uh, 1 Corinthians 12:26. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. If I could speak of all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal.
Welcome to the first of our two morning talks this morning. And I thought it would be nice to go back and just relook at the points we made last week as a little, little uh, summary. So we looked at some basic points, which are the fundamental points of being a Christian. So the first point was it all depends on Jesus. He is our example and him only. He provides our salvation and him only. He provides our values and him only. Sometimes we hear criticism of the Christian faith by saying, look at this story in the Bible or look at that bit of history or look at what that person did. That's all irrelevant. Great respect. Our values come from Jesus. If people who pretain to be Christian or even Christian leaders in the past have done or said things that don't agree with what Jesus said, that doesn't mean to say we have to follow that. We are following Jesus. Many of the stories in the Bible are not there to be copied or emulated. They're there to teach us and to help us learn. So if you want to criticize the Christian faith, criticize Jesus. Don't criticize poor struggling Christians who don't come up to the mark. Criticize Jesus. Even some Christians who are not poor and not struggling and have been extremely uh, ungodly in the past. It's Jesus we look to. He is our example. The second point, God is good, God is love. In fact, we can say this is pretty obvious because if he wasn't, you have to ask yourself what the world would be like. Uh, As a writer called G.K. Chesterton, who was very popular at the end of the 19th, early 20th century, Christian writer, he wrote a number of novels and books and articles. Uh, one of the ones he wrote, perhaps one of the better known ones, was a book called The Man Who Was Thursday. And this is worth reading. It's not that long and it's quite contemporary even today. But it has as one of its underlying thoughts, what would the world be like if God was playing with us? If God was mendacious or God was just toying with us? What would the world be like? I think it's self-evident that the world is not like that. Um, that I believe that God is good and God is love. Now, in that love, he allows us a measure of free will and he allows a measure of science and a measure of chance to occur in nature. You have to ask yourself what the world would be like if this was not the case. You would not have free will. You would not be an individual. You would be part of a computer program or God's predestined program or something that was controlled by God. You would not be the free person that you are. So God is good. This answers most of the difficult questions when they say, why does, why does? The answer is at the end of time or the end of our time, we are going to stand before God and we're going to say, yes, God was good. He did the good thing. So I have confidence in God's justice and a clear understanding that the reason why the world is like it is, is to allow space for human will and the human expression and God's expression of love. I think about it a little bit. If God did not allow uh, not such useful and attractive people to work for him, um, what would that do for us? Would we be someone who could work for him? But we'll talk about this a little bit later in this talk. Now, the third thing which we hold on to, which is very important to us, is that God speaks to us. God talks to us and leads us. But he does this through the scripture. 
the Bible and through his Holy Spirit. And we must be careful to realise that the Bible and the Holy Spirit cannot contradict each other. They, they both balance each other. And if you have uh, some understanding that doesn't quite agree with what the Holy Spirit is saying or what, the, what your view of the Bible isn't quite fitting in with the personality of Jesus, it may be that you have misunderstood something rather than uh, the Bible or Jesus is wrong. It's just a little bit of humility there to understand that we are always learning and always uh, developing our thoughts and our, our reasoning. So those are the three points that we pretty well picked up on last week, is to say th these are fundamental, so fundamental to our, our Christian belief that we sometimes forget to think about them, we just take them for granted. So another thing that's very fundamental that many of us maybe haven't thought of for a long time is how do we get to know Jesus? We're saying everything is based upon him, but how do we get to know him? But the answer is pretty obvious, but it's still worth repeating and talking about. We can read about him in the four Gospels. Uh, we can read about him and the values that God sets in the rest of the scriptures, and we can read about explanations about Jesus in the New Testament and the um, epistles and the writings of the New Testament. So we can read, but we need to have the Holy Spirit helping us understand, and we need the, the help of uh, the people around us to, to put these things into focus. But this is how we start to understand about Jesus. Now, there is a simple formula in the scripture that comes up over and over again. And it's based upon a Greek word. Remember that the New Testament is written in Greek. And the Greek word that this formula is based upon is metanoio. And this comes from two words in Greek, meta, which have, can have different meanings, but in this context it means different from, and nouio, which means mind. So metanoio literally means to have a different mind, to be able to move from one mindset to another mindset. In 1611, the Bible was popularly translated from the original Greek into English, but the language, of course, was the language of 1611. And the word that was used for metanoia was the word repent. If I look up the word repent today in a modern English dictionary, I get something like feel or express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing. But the, the Greek is more about changing one's mind, not so much about remorse. So um, I may change my mind about doing something good. I may say, ah, oh, this was a good thing I was doing, but I'm going to do something better. I wouldn't necessarily today say I repented of doing the good thing in order to do something better. You may have said that in 1611, but I wouldn't necessarily say it today. But the Greek word metanoio covers this. It, it would fit lovely in that situation. I repented, or metanoio, of doing the good thing in order to do something better. So it can obviously mean moving away from bad things. It can also mean uh, having sincere regret. But it can also mean just changing your mind and being prepared to move to a different place. So if the first stage of knowing about Jesus is to read about him, the second stage is being prepared to change our thoughts and eventually, evidently, our lives and actions to follow him. This is the simple meaning of the word repent. Now, there's another 
idea I'd like us to pick up on. In each of the four Gospels, at the start of the stories, there's a phrase that Jesus says, or the Gospels say that Jesus says, he came to baptise us in the Holy Spirit. Now, this has caused controversy for years, and different people have different meanings and ideas of what this means. Uh, if you forgive me, I'm going to tell you what I think this means. It means that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a process. Now, me, people immediately fall over the word baptism because they think of baptism in water, and they think, of, oh, yes, dunking in and out. But that's not baptism in water. Baptism in water is the whole process by which you get to the place where you are washed in the water. So the baptism is a process. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the process by which the Holy Spirit starts approaching you and talking to you and leading you and takes you on and brings you into a place where you're following Jesus. So it's that whole process. So as you start to develop and understand your place in heaven, you became dependent upon the gifts that God gives you and the, the gifts, not your efforts. I didn't say that very well. But um, what I'm saying is that we are dependent upon God for our salvation and our gifts. But we have to make an effort as well. It's not just sit there and it's done to you. We have to cooperate. So the work of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the process by which God takes you as a stranger to God and turns you into someone who is useful for God. And there comes a time in your life where you know that you've been baptised in the Holy Spirit, in that your life expectation and what you want out of life is now to serve God. You, you may fail in doing that, but that's your aspiration. You wish to be a useful servant of God. You've been baptised in the Holy Spirit, taken from one place and brought to another. But our changing doesn't stop there. Um, it continues. We continue to improve and continue to change our minds and continue to develop. Uh, this is actually called sanctification. We become more and more like Jesus. And in the process, both the process of sanctification and the process of, of entering into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God gives us and equips us with special spiritual gifts which are unique to us. So he gives you spiritual gifts to help you in your life ministry. Second thing he does is he helps develop your natural gifts. If you have uh, a natural ability to do something and you start using this for, for, for God, you're going to find that he's going to use your natural gifts. And thirdly, and just as important, he helps you overcome your weaknesses and your, your um, should we say, problems and difficulties. They don't always go away completely. It's, again, part of the process of sanctification. But as our good gifts get better, our weaknesses should get correspondingly smaller. We never become perfect, but this is the journey that we're on. Um, and this is the important thing, that it's a journey. Now, why do we do this? Uh, the answer for those of us who are Christians is we don't feel we have a lot of choice. God's called us and we are obeying him and this is our joy and it's the, the most important thing in our lives. It's, it's a great joy and a great privilege to be able to live our lives trying to serve God. The difficulty is that we come across a lot of idiots on the way. And as I said last week, God calls idiots. Now, this is something you can think about. What would happen if he didn't? 
he would only call very, very nice, talented people who were, were very good. And that might not necessarily include us. So the fact that God is calling people who are not quite so gifted and useful or moral uh, is making space for us. He's actually calling all people. He calls us all. Because none of us have come up to God's standard. We're all short of God's standard. Uh, the Greek word means miss the mark. We've all missed God's mark. The theological way of saying this is all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody, you, me, and all of us. But the blessing is God calls those who have missed God's mark. He calls you and he calls me. So he's made room for all of us. The important thing is that we're on a journey. It's the journeying that matters, the being prepared to change that matters, the growing closer to God that matters. Not one of us is perfect. Some of us may seem to be further from perfection than others. That is true. But none of us are perfect. And each one of us has got this wonderful opportunity to spend our lives serving God and getting to know him better. Now, how we work this out We'll talk about in the next 10 minutes, but the important thing to say at the end of this little talk is that because of God's grace, he's able to call you and me.
Now, how does all this work out in practice? Uh, and the answer is with difficulty. Uh, the churches over the centuries have not found administrating Christians easy. In fact, I think church government is one of the biggest challenges to Christians and no more so than today, in fact, particularly today. So let's very briefly look at the history of the church. Now, this is uh, going to be brief and you may disagree with it because it, it is brief. But we can divide, in my view, the governance or the history of the church into five periods. The first one is until AD 64. This was uh, immediately after Jesus. It's the period of the Acts of the Apostles, uh, Paul spreading uh, the message over the Greek and Roman world. And the governments of churches tends to be on the Paulian model of uh, the, the use of the Holy Spirit and, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit working in each church, each church locally and developing its own ministry and life and uh, growth and development. Then in AD 64, enough Christians had spread that there was quite a lot of them in Rome. And there was a big fire in Rome. And Nero blamed the Christians for the fire in Rome and official persecution of Christians started. So in 30 odd years, they'd gone from nowhere to enough Christians in Rome to blame them for the big fire. This continued, this state persecution continued until 313 AD. Uh, it, it tended to vary. There were times when if you kept your head down and didn't get uh, too noticed, you would perhaps be okay. And there were times when Christians were actively hunted out and thrown to lions. However, during the whole of this period, in order to be a Christian leader, really meant inviting persecution and you had to be prepared to give your life up if you became a Christian leader at this time. The, the governance of the church was, of course, related to uh, organisation, teaching and secrecy and quietness and uh, not being too, too, too seen. And there, there are lovely stories about how travelling missionaries had to move around from place to place. After 313, there was an edict from the Emperor Constantine, who had become a Christian, and literally overnight, Rome became Christian. Constantine just said, I'm a Christian, you'll all become Christians, won't you? And they all said yes. Uh, it happened overnight. So before, well, virtually overnight. So before this period, 313, to be a Christian leader was a very underprivileged, risky, difficult position. After 313, it was a very wealthy, very powerful position because Constantine pretty well said to each of the Christian leaders in the towns of the Roman Empire, take over the town and start running it. So the church became incredibly powerful. Uh, and that's how it continued right up until 1521, which was when Luther had the meeting in a place called Worms. Uh, but in that time, it, the Roman Empire gets weaker and weaker, but the Christian church gets stronger and stronger. In fact, the Christian church replaces the Roman Empire. And you find that uh, phrases like the Holy Roman Empire really represented Germany. Uh, if, you, if you remember, the name of the royal family of Russia was Tsar, and that comes from Caesar. So we see the Roman Empire spreading and the influence of the church over the whole of Europe and thus the whole of the world at that time coming from its, this, this conversion of Constantine. 
And the church at this time changes its whole purpose of being. It almost becomes like another state. It's able to run armies. It's able to give commands to, to uh, other nations like Henry VIII, who started to usurp it after 1521. So it's a very, very powerful, very wealthy organization. And, and the, the, the main way of running a church has developed to protect that power and protect the wealth of those leaders. After the, the uh, Reformation in 1521, the, the, the power of the church state starts to weaken uh, as Henry VIII challenges the Pope and we see the, 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 the uh, political power and military power of the church beginning to slowly dissipate. And so church leadership uh, takes on the role really of trying to keep this um, authority and you see a change from the church setting the law at the start of, of this period, towards the end of the period, the church almost following popular opinion in order to keep its influence. And, and so it continued from that time really to the late 20th century. Uh, when after the late 20th century, we come into the fifth period where the church pretty well has got, it's been sidelined as an organization. Christians don't have a lot to say in the running of, of nations. Now, there are some examples, uh, different differences in that, but generally that's what's happened. Is this a bad thing? Um, I don't think it is. I think it's a wonderful opportunity because I think it's an invitation from God to bring the governance of church back to the original biblical model that Paul had at the very start of the Gospels. And if we look at some of the, the, the real weaknesses of the church today, it largely comes down to very bad governance. Whether it's the moral failure, as we've seen in many of the organised churches, the complete moral failure um, with, with, with the issues that have happened with children, or whether it's the sort of institutionalised, I'm going to say this honestly, institutionalised lying of some organisations about money, about wealth, about miracles, where they just go on television and basically say what people want them to say in order to get you to give them more power and money. Um, all this comes down to the way a church is run or governed. So it's important, in my view, to get back to that original Paulian vision, the biblical, biblical vision of how a church is run, because that's the environment that we live in, that we have to develop our Christian our Christian lives. Now, when NCF started back in the 1990s, this was our vision, and it still is our vision, to run a church within the biblical teaching, the biblical example of, of the early, early church. So what is this model? Uh, well, it's quite easy to see. It, it's just pretty plain in the New Testament. It's not become popular uh, over the centuries for the reasons we've just seen. The historical pressures uh, didn't always help. And when the church became very powerful, church leaders um, who were, well, just incredibly rich, wealthy and powerful were not about to give up this power to members of their congregations or, or their flock um, or whatever. We won't go into this too much now, but you can see from history that it's, it's not a good idea uh, to ask powerful people to give up their power. But God has put us in a position as the church today where we don't have any power. So therefore, it's, it's a good time to get back and revisit this model. Now, the model is clearly seen in the body. We have a picture a number of times in the scriptures of the human body, 
in which Paul says quite clearly, you're not all heads, you're not all hands, you're not all feet, uh, but you're all important. And every one of us has a role to play in the body, and the body only functions because each of those parts plays its part. This is different than the historical teaching, which is being the body is almost in the individual. An individual represents Jesus, therefore you have to obey that individual. That's not the New Testament model. Here, the, the body of Jesus is the church, and the church is made up of all the people working together. So we are all important. And as Paul points out in the reading we had, uh, not, no single part can be done away with, and each part has its own unique role. And of course, he finishes it by saying, uh, this is important, you're all different, but it has to be exercised in love. So this is the, 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 the picture of the church, the body that is growing together, supporting each other in love. Then the other way to go is to look at Ephesians 4. Uh, and here we, we see a, a pushing of the point that this, this model of church leadership demands personal responsibility and team working. You have to have both. You have to work as a team, but be personally responsible. And let's read Ephesians 4, which is where uh, Paul makes this point again. I like this translation. Uh, I'll just read it. And he, that's God, he personally gave to the church some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. We can learn a lot from those couple of verses. Firstly, nobody is uh, unique. We, no, sorry. Firstly, nobody has a indispensable role that makes them uniquely indispensable. We're all unique in the sense that we all have a role that God wants us to to, to play, um, whether that's apostles or prophets or evangelists, pastor or teacher, but each of those roles needs the other roles. Not one of those roles can function without the other people supporting them. And you not be, may not be any of those. You may be a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear. It doesn't matter. We are all in this together. But this is the important thing. He personally gave, it says here, and it gives this list of who effectively the leaders of the church. Why does he give us leaders? For the training of the saints in the work of ministry. Now, this is important. The point of leadership is to train other people for ministry. Let me say that again. The point of leadership is to train other people to do the ministry, to build up the body of Christ. It's been well said that many of today's churches, in fact, most of them are upside down, where we have a few people who are the leaders who are doing all the ministry and the rest of the people are there to receive it. In fact, Paul's picture of a church was the other way around, that the people in the church are doing the ministry and the leaders are there to train and help and teach them to, be, to do that ministry and become uh, the ministers of the church. Now, to not put too fine a point on that, this means us, or you, or me. Each one of us has a ministry in the church, and the role and job of the church is to find, develop, and help us grow in that ministry so that we can aid the growing of, of Christ and the body of Christ.
and every one of us is you is unique in ourselves but we are none of us indispensable it's like the body we're all part of the body the body needs us all in order to be healthy not one of us can cannot play the point and claim to be greater than another as paul says we're all part of the body of christ so let's read that last bit again he gave personally god personally chose some of us to be apostles some of us prophets some of us evangelists some of us pastors and some teachers and to go to extend this further into the uh, reading we have from corinthians some of us hands some of us feet some of us fingers some of us eyes some of us heads some of us uh, toes but he gave us leaders for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to train each other in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ so there should be no hierarchy in the church in sense of uh, some of us are have more authority than others we all have the authority that God gives us we have the authority that pertains to our calling and our ministry and our use and we should be happy and, and blessed in God to use that and that's the way to grow and it's my personal belief that the calling that God is giving the church in this present time is to rearrange itself and get back to the person to, sorry to the uh, governance of the church as was given in the New Testament at the early stage and move away from uh, for what a better word personality sets uh, led uh, celebrity led leadership and get back to the leading of the church coming from the people within the church according to the leading of God's holy spirit and this is very encouraging very exciting because it basically means you have a role uh, you don't have to be important come back to the judge we talked about last week tola it didn't matter that he had nothing recorded about him what was recorded about him was that he was a judge he was serving god the what he achieved or whatever is not recorded what was recorded was that he was serving god and this is all we want from our lives it's be recorded by in front of god by god that our desire was to serve him what we achieve and what we do is his gift but our desire is that we are here to serve him. so let's conclude this is my basic vision um, of christianity it's all about jesus we can see that god is good and god is love and that it's his expressed will to give us a will to work within that uh, the parameters we can learn about god and jesus from the scripture from the teaching and leading of the holy spirit with the help of teachers and other people appointed by god but essentially it is through the scripture as shown by the holy spirit what's our task it's to find the calling that God has given us within our local churches to be part of the ministry of our local churches and part of the body of Christ and so each one of us is helping each other to grow in the ministry that God has given us so there we are there's a lot in that um I leave it for you to think and uh see how it affects our living Uh, so yeah, the verse was Ephesians 4:11 and onwards uh, from there. I didn't give that. Sorry about that.
And those who lead him through the night From those who tell of battles won And those who are in fight For his perfect love will never change And his mercies never cease But follow through through all our days With the certainty of peace desire to want to be the church of God rejoicing in this world today however that looks so Lord help us as we contemplate on what's being uh, being said and taught today Lord I just pray that you give us that way Lord that's your way that brings people back to you in our land and further afield and Lord a special blessing now and thanks to David, that's been very much part of us from a young child, Lord. And just pray blessings upon her. Keep her safe, keep her well. And Lord, I just thank you for the plans that you do have for her and for her future and for the family as they move on without David being with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.